0: Hii ni dha kiswahili ya Channel Africa ikitangaza kutoka Johannesburg
1: Afrika kusini.
2: This is Africa Digest.
1: 1700 hours Central African time. Good afternoon and welcome to Africa Digest. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective. We're broadcasting to you from our studios in Johannesburg, South Africa. And uh, we're available on www.channelafrica.co.za. My name is Samora Mangesi and I'm in studio with Juala Nishulo, as well as Nosille Zuma. Top stories on Africa Digest at this hour. Nigerians, including the UN agency, doubt the claim by the Nigerian army that it has decimated the Boko Haram terror group. South Africa's president, Cyril Ramaphosa, says it has been a dark and shameful week for his country following a surge in violence against women. And Zambia's youths are calling for transparency and accountability from office bearers over the management of the country's resources and governance. It is the beginning of a new week and uh, probably uh, the most important week for this month as it is Youth Month in South Africa. Youth Day tomorrow. Uh, Jolani, it's a very special day tomorrow commemorating, you know, the the youth of 1976 Mm. and also a very dark period that we are seeing in our country. And I think also just throughout the world at this point in time. What can be done? in order to make sure that we are breeding a a generation of young people that is going to be good and upstanding citizens that do not, especially, I think, men who do not terrorize women?
3: Well, I think, firstly, they need a good example. Mm. There needs to be a good example that's set. So I think the adults first, I think, need to reflect on what they are doing that the youth is seeing because you can preach all you want till your face turns blue but if you're not if your actions are not following what you're saying then the youth won't get it so if the men of this generation don't start reflecting don't start analyzing what their own actions are and calling each other out as mm-hmm. men the boys won't get it
1: very powerful words by Joladi Tullo, but right now it's time for us to cross on over to the news desk where she's standing by to give us your latest news bulletin
4: SABC News Independent and impartial From an
5: African Perspective
3: Thank you, Samora. Good afternoon. More claims have emerged of the Kenyan police using heavy-handed techniques to enforce the country's coronavirus curfews. The BBC's investigation series Africa Eye has found evidence that a resident in a Nairobi slum died after being beaten by police during the curfew. The BBC's Will Ross has the story.
6: In late March, the government imposed a nationwide
1: dawn-to-dust curfew aimed at curbing the spread of coronavirus. Africa Eye has been looking at how it was enforced in Mathari, one of the poorest places in Nairobi. Before this community even confirmed its first case of coronavirus, three people were allegedly killed by the police during the curfew. In one of the cases, a dead body was found on the streets of Mathari. An eyewitness said the man was beaten by police during the previous night's curfew. We put these claims to the Kenyan police press office, but they refused to
6: comment.
3: Meanwhile, four staff members working in the office of Kenya's president Uhuru Kenyatta have tested positive for coronavirus. In a statement, Kenya's presidency says all four have been referred to a nearby hospital for treatment. All staff, including the president and his family, are tested on a regular basis. However, there will be now extra access protocols for those staff members who live outside State House. Kenya currently has more than 3,000 confirmed cases of the coronavirus, and more than 30 people have died after catching COVID-19 The Congress of South African Students says they have clashed with police at Rhodes High School in Cape Town in the Western Cape Province COSAS is demanding that there be no learning and teaching until all students and teachers are tested for COVID-19 It says it's closing down schools due to fears over the spread of the coronavirus COSAS Acting Provincial Secretary in the Western Cape Province Mpumzi giu says their actions are to save lives
7: Police were there, they were firing grand, uh, grand criminals. We told them that it's either we're doing this now or never. We are reminding ourselves about the youth of 1976, that we're going to do it by hook or crook. That's what we're going to entirely do. And then we shut it down. We made sure all scholars came out and now uh, were busy in Kiley Chaskuzang. They are shutting down, they are coming out in numbers. Um, We've warned them that um, it, 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 is, it is something that we have to be fair that we're found guilty of breaking down the lockdown regulation also on duties of saving the, the innocent life of scholars.
3: The Nigerian president has ordered an investigation after security guards reportedly shot into the air at his presidential palace. The incident happened at Esso Rock following an altercation between one of the president's aides and his wife's bodyguards. They had been arguing about the need for a presidential aide to self isolate after returning from a trip. Some of the first lady's staff have been arrested. No casualties were reported. The incident happened last week but came to light at the weekend when both President Mohamedou Buhari and his his wife, Aisha, spoke about it publicly. And finally, the Geneva-based UN Human Rights Council has decided that an urgent debate on what it labels the current racially inspired human rights violations, systematic racism, police brutality and the violence against peaceful protet- protesters will take place on Wednesday. This follows a request from the Africa Group following the death of George Floyd and others in the United States. Sherwin Bryce Peace reports.
6: In a letter written to the president of the council, the 54-member group called for an urgent debate on racially inspired human rights violations, police brutality against people of African descent, and the violence against peaceful protesters who've called for these injustices to stop. SABC News understands that a resolution is being drafted for adoption at the urgent debate. The Africa Group earlier indicated it saw the session as an opportunity to remind states of the commitments they made to address such violations when they adopted the Durban Declaration and Programme of Action almost 20 years ago.
3: Headlines at 5.30 for Channel Africa, I'm Cholani Toulon.
4: SABC News, independent and impartial.
1: From an African
5: perspective.
1: The incidences of the past week have left many Nigerians, including the UN agency, in doubt of the claims by the Nigerian army that it has decimated the Boko Haram terror group, which, is, uh, held, which has held uh, sway in most of the country's northeastern enclave. The situation prompted the Kano state governor. Abdullahi Ganduje to call for the review of the ECOWAS protocol on the free movement of people as one of the strategies to help curb the high influx of the murderous Fulani herdsmen from other parts of West Africa into the country. Speaking at the commissioning of a faculty, or facility rather meant for the herders in Kano after a series of terror attacks which took many innocent lives in northern Nigeria in the past week, Kano State Governor Ganduje says the move will help to check the rate of violence Across Nigeria, Channel Africa's news correspondent in Lagos, Collins Nosato Hengbe reports.
0: After a dastardly attack in which about 19 innocent lives were lost, the terror gang made spirited efforts last Saturday to attack Mungo Town and its environs, but were repelled by the army. The incidences has further increased the number of communities that have been sacked by the occupation force of the headsmen and Boko Haram while at the same time sending more people into refugee camps for the internally displaced. The Kano State Governor, Abdullah Ganduje believes that there is a need to review the ECOWAS Protocol on Free Movement of People so that headsmen from other parts of West Africa believed to be responsible for the upsurging terror attack will be prevented from entering Nigeria.
8: Even after COVID-19, those Fulanese husbands that are coming from West Africa to the northern part of this country, to the middle belt, to the southern part of this country, such migration should be prevented. The ECOWAS protocol should be reviewed so that husbands are not being allowed into Nigeria so that we reduce the level of conflict.
0: With Gandhiji's appeal, it can be concluded, sort of, that herdsmen from other parts of West Africa are involved in the promotion of violent campaign in Nigeria joining hands with such terror groups like Boko Haram. This situation was further alluded to by the president of the People of Southern Kaduna, Jonathan Ashake. He lamented that despite the violence committed against Nigerians by these heavily armed foreign Fulani herdsmen, not one of them has been arrested or prosecuted.
4: The call by the governor to stop the influx of the hardsmen into Nigeria is a very excellent uh, call, but it should go further than that. And I don't know whether the state governors are in, uh, in, in tune with the presidency or each one of them is doing what he's doing in his own state. But one thing I know is that there are hundreds of thousands of these killer hutsmen which the governor has confirmed that they are, they, when they come in, they are heavily armed. And there is no doubt about that. But what I want the government to do is to go further, not only to stop them because they are already inside the country and they are already killing Nigerians. And Nigerians are already groaning. And many Nigerians in their hundreds of thousands, if not millions, have been displaced. Many have been killed. And the worst of it is that none is being prosecuted
0: series of attacks have tasked the nigerian army which in so many instances has also suffered tremendous casualties in the hand of the terrorists causing the chief of army staff general burratai to relocate to the northern eastern part of the country suggesting that the battle is in Tokyo. but recent attacks by boko haram have been put at the shore of reprisal against the communities believed to have given out on them major general john nh is the chief of defense
9: information the remote reason for those actions was that you gave our positions away to the military, and they use other excuses to bounce on them. And that has been the major challenge. If we had the cooperation from the general public, particularly from those communities and those localities, where those terrorists, criminals, and bandits operate from in sleeper cells and hibernations, would have long completed the degradation.
0: In view of Jonathan Ashaka, the government needs to go beyond mere recognition of the reason for such attacks or acknowledgement of who the terrorists are to make sure that the culprits are arrested and prosecuted.
4: The government will show more commitment if the government goes ahead to fish out these heartsmen and bring them to book or flush them out to where they ever came from, especially those that have occupied communities. I can't imagine that killer herdsmen will go into a community, kill children, kill women, slashed open, rip open, uh, uh, tummies of pregnant women. None has been prosecuted or convicted.
0: Akin the professor of law, has been calling for a review of the Nigerian system, says the way the country is being governed today lives much to be desired.
2: The way Nigeria is governed today is uh, completely
10: dysfunctional. We need a paradigm shift from the status quo because Nigerian politics seem to be in a perpetual state of becoming.
2: Uh, we have to sit down and negotiate, renegotiate the basis of our living together. That is what we mean by facing the problems of Nigeria squarely.
0: Why nothing has been put on the table on whether or not. There should be a review of the political and governance style. Dr. Ona Ehomu, a security consultant, says the situation needs total commitment to fix it without creating additional problems.
10: We have to look at the risk spectrum in our society and then we need to do proper assessments of those risks where they lie. And then before we can proffer meaningful solutions and then start implementing them. You know, it's not a one-size-fits-all kind of a thing.
0: During his Democracy Day broadcast to the nation on June 12, President Buhari said government forces have reclaimed all the territories that were hitherto occupied by the terrorists. But with the recent attacks and the number of deaths, Nigerians are beginning to question the veracity of such claims. Even Edward Kalung of the United Nations organs in Nigeria released a statement expressing concern over the increasing number of attacks and deaths of defenseless citizens. Is there hope of a possible end to this spate of violence? Time will tell. From Lagos, Nigeria, I am Collins, Nosa Atohimbe for Channel Africa News.
1: Chief Executive Officer at Cohesion Collective, a South African equality, diversity, and inclusion consulting and implementation firm, Roy Glackman, has weighed in on the global Black Lives Matter. This comes as the world turns its attention to the neglected issue of racism. The qualified attorney looked at why it's always easier for society to turn to the side uh, sideshows like looting and damage to property caused by protests related to the issue as a distraction to tackling the main topic. For instance, when the South African Economic Freedom Front trashed H&M stores during the Fees Must Fall protests to hashtag Black Lives Matter protesting the death of George Floyd. Society zooms into these and critique the actions and reactions of those aggrieved and as a way to avoid the discomfort felt when discussing. Uh, discussing. Glackman starts by explaining the correlation of these issues.
6: I think the correlation is not so much, I mean, obviously the underlying correlation is inequality um, and structural exclusion. But I I think what, you know, particularly when we look at at racism and classism in South Africa, but but the the article that I wrote was was really about how, as a South African public, particularly as as white South Africa, we we react to these things. Um, so it's really kind of, you know, when when, when H&M posted that uh, online advert um, of that young black boy wearing that hoodie saying, coolest monkey in the jungle, you know, the EFF went to trash H&M stores and there was a lot of criticism like, oh, why are they trashing the stores? We shouldn't be looting. And we see that very same uh, pattern of behavior happening with fees must fall. You know, a lot of people like, you know, why are the students being violent? Why are they burning things? And then, of course, with, with Black Lives Matter, we see the same thing. So we're looking at the, the, the looting or the reactions as, and using that as a distraction, uh, you know, from really talking about the issues of racism, sexism, homophobia inequality. So the, the link is just how it is that we like to avoid looking at the deeper issues and focusing on the things on the surface.
11: And let's talk about the issue of uh, destruction, um, as you po- just pointed out, that when it comes to addressing such issues and um, why do you believe this is a, a way of perhaps avoiding to deal with the core issues?
6: Yeah, 100% right. Um, you know, if we can you know, there's, there's only ever limited airtime available to talk and to think about things. So the more we can talk about the looting and the destruction and the violence and the burning, the less time we have to focus on the tough issues. And that is our history, that is structural exclusion, that is racism, sexism, all of these isms, right? So the more time we spend talking about whether the protesters should be looting or not and, and how they, they, they're violent, the less time we really have to look at the real issues. And obviously, as society, particularly people who are in privileged positions, you know, we don't want to have to look at, at the structural nature of exclusion. We don't want to have to look at privilege because then it means we're going to have to do something about it. And, um, you know, that, that's not that's not our favorite place to be. We prefer to be distracted.
11: And, and tell us about the issues that you raised in, in the piece, and how you hope this will push society to t- to think differently and just to you know address the issues at hand, the issues that have been there for many um, uh, years.
6: Yeah, I mean, it's really just about it's really just about awareness at this point, right? And how do we start building a better national dialogue? Around racism, sexism, homophobia—all of these, these, these elements of exclusion. So instead of us talking about the distractions, let us actually focus on the experience and the realities of inequality. And I think that that's really a starting point for South Africa: is for us to start having these conversations. Obviously, we need to be dismantling a lot of these systems, but right now, if we could just, for a moment talk about structural racism as it exists in the south african context you know i think that's that's something that that desperately needs to be happening Mm. um you know i think as we start building that awareness and that language you know hopefully we create more allies we create more um conversations about how we can dismantle these structures um but you know i mean like i'm I don't wanna I don't wanna sound too pessimistic, but you know, that feels like that feels maybe a little bit in the future. For now we just have to sit with the reality that is and the discomfort of what is, you know, the discomfort that some people still have and get treated in a certain way given their race, gender, sexual orientation. Um and, and this is this is really the conversations we need to start having.
11: Mm-hmm. And as a, as a white South African, do you think the conversations are, are being had? Because we know when you start having these conversations, it becomes very uncomfortable. And, uh, you know, do you think that these conversations are being had, especially with the younger generation, because that could assist in, in, in changing things around?
6: Yeah, it's a great question, and and I think what we must we must also do is is so, so every time I say white, we can also just replace male or straight, right? So mm. the, this is about a conversation on privilege, but let's let's kind of focus on let's, let's let's ask the question about white conversations. Look, I think that there is absolutely a growing consciousness around this conversation. I think there is a growing comfort to talk about privilege, uh, particularly with the younger generation. So over over the last week, given Black Lives Matter, a lot of schools have reached out to us, you know, let's have these conversations. And the learners, there they have the language and they're ready and they're willing to engage. When it comes to older generations, you know, there's there's a lot more shame and pain and, and, and ignorance around it. But I have noticed that over the last 18 months, particularly in corporate South Africa, you know, there's a drive to have these conversations. I mean, we're not there yet, but I think there is a growing comfort or at least um, sense of urgency to have it. But look, you know, it's very difficult for anyone in a privileged position to have these conversations because there's just this huge amount of shame, you know, and, and, and also, you know, it's very hard for people, you know, people that want to let go of their privilege, you know, and, 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 and the conversations are so emotional that we'd much rather just avoid the emotions altogether and just keep going on with our lives. But I do think that there is a growing awareness around the importance of this conversation. And of course, I think it will be driven by, by the youth as well.
1: And that's Roy Gluckman, Chief Executive Officer at Cohesion Collective, a South African equality, diversity, and inclusions consulting and implementation firm, talking to Tutu Beni.
2: Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story.
9: We call upon church leaders to really cooperate with government. It is the church which can help us to stop this crisis. The church should not contribute to this crisis negatively. We are calling upon our church leaders to listen to our premiers, our mayors, and the president. Let's work together to reduce the spread of this uh, virus. South Africa, it is possible we are here because unity of
1: purpose is necessary.
8: Channel Africa
1: A mother-daughter duo, Dr. Cynthia Kudji-Sylvester and Dr. Jasmine Kudji have made national news after becoming the first mother-daughter duo to attend medical school at the same time at the same institution. The two Ghanaian-Americans will now be uh, continuing their career journeys together as medical residents in the Louisiana State University health system in the United States and will also be in the front line in the fight against the COVID-19 pandemic. The BBC's focus on Africa presenter, Bola Musuro, spoke to these two incredible ladies and started off by asking Dr. Cynthia Kudji why she studied the same subject as her daughter.
12: My story actually begins when we returned home to Ghana for a family trip. And there was a a mom that approached my mother and I with her daughter asking us to help her because she was sick. And I don't even think the little girl did very well. But seeing those disparities really made me want to be a physician. But, you know, I found myself pregnant my senior year at Tulane University. So I decided to go ahead and go into nursing school. And I worked as a nursing assistant and worked as a maid just to kind of get through it. And once I graduated, that I worked as an RN for eight years and decided to be a nurse practitioner. So when Jasmine was in college, I felt like that was a great time to take the opportunity to pursue my dreams of becoming a
5: physician. To start studying again would be daunting in itself, but to also do so at the same time as your daughter, who's studying exactly the same thing, that didn't phase you in any way?
12: You know, when you have a young child, you aspire for them to be better than yourself. And knowing that what I did, she emulated, it was just the greatest inspiration. I've benefited so much having my daughter by my side as we went through this journey together.
5: And Jasmine, as you inspired her, did she inspire you?
13: Yeah, she 100% inspired me throughout this process. You know, because I was more recently in school, the studying aspect of it maybe came a little bit more easy to me. But because my mom was in a clinical field for 20 some odd years, she really, really helped me out um, during my clinical years of medicine. And there were tons of times where even though we weren't in the same place. We studied virtually together over Skype, over FaceTime. And if we just needed advice, we would call each other and just ask for help.
5: When did you both graduate? Because we know the COVID-19 pandemic has prevented so many people from graduating.
13: Um, We didn't get to graduate formally. My Mm -hmm. school did what they called a pre-commencement ceremony where they, and they did it virtually. My graduation was supposed to be on May 15th. And my mom's graduation was supposed to be actually in a few weeks in June. It's also not going to happen.
12: It's kind of hard, you know, with all the COVID and stuff going on. We're just going to wait. In the meantime, if I just get the opportunity to see my daughter, that is celebration enough.
5: I believe you've both already been practicing on the ground. You in Alabama, Cynthia, and you in Louisiana.
12: So I was a nurse practitioner for like nine or 10 years prior to going to medical school. So I still kept my license. So in the forefront of this pandemic, we've had COVID patients here at the clinic. We've seen them outside in their vehicles. We do what we call curbside services. and We've also done a lot of education in the rural areas.
5: What kind of challenges do you have amongst the African community in the United States, but African-American community? Because I believe there's some kind of almost quite unique circumstances. I think in general, it's
12: a lot about education. Um, a lot of times there's miscommunication or miseducation. Alabama, for example, has been a little bit more lenient on opening up their businesses. And so the challenge now is encouraging people to wear their mask and wear their gloves when they go out. Perhaps more uniquely to African-Americans would be, you know, management of chronic illnesses that have always been there and taking the opportunity to educate them that High blood pressure, diabetes, we've got to control those chronic illnesses in case we do get at some point exposed to COVID, we have a greater chance of surviving the illness.
5: And Jasmine, I understand that there are some cases where some black men in general say, look, you know, we have an issue just with wearing the mask because we're now being profiled and especially at a time when we're talking about George Floyd and seeing the repercussions of his killing. You know, I just wonder what that kind of debate is at the moment.
13: Uh, The environment that we're currently in definitely does create a problem for African-Americans in regards to wearing masks. There are instances in which they are told, you know, you shouldn't wear this mask inside of a store. You're scaring me. You look like you're going to rob me. And all that is just discrimination. And what we need to know is that this is wrong and to protect ourselves and to protect others we have to still wear our masks and if we are in a situation like that it's our duty to report those people to make sure that they're not doing it to any other people and to just make sure that that we're doing what's right regardless of what we're being attacked with.
5: Just looking now to the future you're going to be working even in the same hospital how will that be for you Cynthia and then for you Jasmine?
12: So that is like a dream come true. I mean, Jasmine and I have literally been apart, you know, once in a while, we get the opportunity to visit each other. I believe one of her blocks where she'll be doing surgery is going to be in Lafayette. And so for about one or two months, we'll have the opportunity to be in the same city. And I just can't wait till that takes place.
5: Jasmine, how does that make you feel, especially as a Ghanaian and an (laughs) African-American?
13: You know, I feel so proud to have been able to go through this journey with my mom to inspire other women and other people of color to be able to do the same thing. I'm just so excited to be able to continue on this journey. And I know that there's so much more that we can do and that we will do.
5: And can I ask both of you, do you feel more Ghanaian than American?
13: (laughs) Yeah, that's a very good question. It's so hard to feel more than the other, I guess. My family is very Ghanaian, but I'm also a New Orleanian at heart. So I feel both. At all times.
12: Absolutely. You know, that's something I grew up with all my life. Are you more American? Or are you more Ghanaian? And to be honest, we're a blend of both cultures. We grew up with African parents and the teachings and the values and the respect and all that is all a part of us. And at the same time, the African-American culture and the respect and everything that goes along with being African-American is still a part of us as well. So we truly are a blend of both cultures. And it's an amazing privilege to have that we can really relate to to both countries
1: and that's dr cynthia kudji sylvester and dr jasmine kudji a mother and daughter duo who graduated from the same medical institution at the same time speaking to the bbc's focus on africa presenter bola masuro the time is now 1728 central african time right after this we're going to be heading over to the news desk where joelani tulo is standing by to give you your latest news headlines
2: Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story.
9: What we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy, which can ensure full employment.
2: the globe. Every second, there's always a breaking
9: story. We call upon church leaders to really cooperate with government. It is the church which can help us to stop this crisis. The church should not contribute to this crisis negatively. We are calling upon our church leaders to listen to our premiers, our mayors, and the president. Let's work together to reduce the spread of this uh, virus. South Africa, it is possible. We are here because unity of purpose is necessary.
8: Channel Africa.
4: SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African
3: perspective. Good afternoon, making headlines. More claims have emerged of the Kenyan police using heavy-handed techniques to enforce the country's coronavirus curfew. Still in Kenya, four staff members working in the office of President Uhura Kenyatta have tested positive for the coronavirus. And finally, the Nigerian president has ordered an investigation after security guards reportedly shot into the air at his presidential palace. For Channel Africa, I'm Cholani Tula.
4: SABC News, independent and impartial. From an
3: African
5: perspective.
1: Lately, we have seen businesses scramble to get their ducks in a row to quickly adjust to the new reality the COVID 19 pandemic has brought. If there's ever been a more testing time for businesses, we are now seeing it. in front of our eyes especially the way that businesses have had to adjust the way that they communicate during the pandemic businesses are also seeing uh, the necessity of a crisis and communication policy and plan not to communicate effectively with their stakeholders as well now on the line we are joined by chris bischoff who is a reputation manager at Reputation Matters uh, to talk to us about the importance of companies instilling effective communication in the times of COVID-19. Chris, thank you very much for joining us.
15: Cool. Thank you, Samara. Thanks for having me.
1: Now, Chris, generally, how have companies managed to communicate with employees and stakeholders during the times of COVID-19?
15: Yes. um, So the first notable um, trend that we've uh, been observing is that there's been a massive shift to a remote virtual working environment. So really optimizing the virtual digital space. So we've seen a lot of companies use platforms like Zoom, Skype for Business, and uh, Microsoft Teams, for example, and a lot of these are open source platforms. So they are free to use. So I think companies have been very resourceful to to use these platforms. And it really comes down to the basics. A lot of us, a lot of companies have employees now that are working from home. So it's very important to check in, see how they're doing, um, and make them feel, make employees feel supported. So this might be a simple, a simple thing like a 15-minute huddle at the beginning of your working day, a quick debrief at the end of a big project. But so it's really a matter of creating the, the internal culture that you would get at a normal office environment and taking that culture and creating it away from the the working space while everyone is at home.
1: All right, uh, Chris. Now, companies should be careful of the possible impact COVID-19 will have on their reputations. Uh, Explain that to us in further detail.
15: Yes, sure. So the first thing that companies really need to be careful of are the new measures that have been put in place, specifically the health and safety measures. And also we've uh, heard a lot about this risk new risk-adjusted adju- strategy that companies need to comply with. So, a non-compliance in this sense is a big reputational risk. So, it's really important once again to communicate about this. Make sure that your employees know what the risk-adjusted strategy is um, and make sure they know how to comply to these new safety and health um, measures and also social distancing practices in the workplace. So a lot of companies have gone gotten back to the to work, um, and as people start to move back into the workplace, it's really important to make sure that this communication is in place with your employees. And then secondly, to less of your external stakeholders, people want to know your customers or your clients. they want to know how your business is responding to Covid nineteen. So what are they or what are you doing? What is your business doing to implement additional safety measures? Is your product safe? Is your service safe for them? It's not going to pose um, any sort of health uh, risk. So it's really important that you communicate um, all these health and safety measures to all your stakeholders, not just your employees.
1: Now, Chris, you advocate for businesses to have a reputation management partner. What is a reputation management partner and why is it important to have one during the times of coronavirus pandemic?
15: Okay, so firstly, to answer your first question, a reputation matters partners. So, uh, as reputation matters, we'll look at all the different areas of the business that contributes to your reputation. So, not just the communication um, element. So, we'll look at, we'll, we will engage with your stakeholders, and we'll look at the perceptions of a company's vision and mission. Are they achieving their vision and what they set out um, to promise? We look at the perception of the employees, so are the right employees... Does the company have the right employees? We look at the delivery of the service, the product offering, the perception of business results, um, are you aligned with correct partners, and also your impact on on society and the environment. So we'll have a look at all these different areas of the business and your stakeholder perception of each, and all these areas essentially make up your, your reputation. And then, in, secondly, why is it important to have a reputation uh, management partner in response to a crisis? And the main reason is because having a solid reputation, especially now, builds a resilient business. So there's a lot of different things that can happen in the market that can have an impact on your reputation. And what, there's been a lot of um, talk about crisis management, especially in response to COVID-19. And it's really important to have the basic building blocks in place to build a business, uh, a resilient business. So when there is a crisis, you can effectively respond to the crisis. And sometimes having a reputation management partner, we have a research model that allows us to engage with the stakeholders so we can actually um, figure out and pinpoint the areas or risks, certain risks and threats to the business that may result in a crisis. So if we identify these areas, we may be actually um, able to prevent the crisis in the first place. And um, it's very hard to predict a crisis like a pandemic, but there's a variety of uh, crises that, face, that business may face. Um, and we, by doing the research and reaching out to your stakeholders, you may be able to, to identify these risks with the business and plan accordingly.
1: All right Now, lastly, Chris, many businesses might have been caught uh, on the back foot when the lockdown yeah. regulations were announced, not knowing how to go about the situation and not having a plan in mind. What advice would you give to a company currently in that situation?
15: Yes, yeah, certainly. So uh, we've definitely noticed that a lot of small businesses and companies have um, been caught, unfortunately caught on the back foot and are now scrambling to get a plan in place in, in response to the whole crisis. So my current um, piece of advice would be to be resourceful. So as I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of open source communication platforms um, out there. I think in the past two months, I've never seen so many different webinars spring up, and these are amazing. There's been some absolutely incredible and insightful webinars, so perhaps this might be your first opportunity as a small business to look at hosting your first webinar or a podcast. Um, So there's a lot of open source resources that you can do so. Zoom is a very popular one. And get your communication online. It's definitely, right now, definitely not a time to be cutting off a communication budget. I think a lot of people are now sitting at home during lockdown and they are consuming more media than normal. So it's definitely an opportunity where you can turn a crisis into a business opportunity. So get the communication out there, get on social media, post your first webinar, and, you know, uh, we've had a, a discussion as a team, like everything will uh, eventually stabilize. The economy will stabilize. And you don't want to have to start from scratch again once this is all over. So now that you have been communicating with all your stakeholders and also with online presence, um, you don't have to start from scratch again. That would definitely be my main advice to companies right now that have been caught in the back it, Be resourceful and uh, find your open source platforms to host your first webinar and other forms of communication to your different stakeholders and clients and also potential clients.
1: All right, Chris, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you,
15: thank you so much, Amora.
1: And that was Chris Bischoff, who is a reputation manager at Reputation Matters, a leading public relations company in South Africa, talking to us about the importance of companies being effective in their communication during the COVID-19 pandemic. South Africa's president Cyril Ramaphosa says it has been a dark and shameful week for uh, his country following a surge in violence against women. His remarks come after several femicides, including that of Tseghufat Zopule, who was eight months pregnant and found stabbed and hanging from a tree. The president says that the culture of silence around gender-based violence had to end. Channel Africa's Ayanda Kwanazi spoke to Bafana Kumalo, Director of Strategic Partnerships and one of the co-founders of Sonke Gender Justice, a non-profit organization in South Africa.
8: In fact, I was just in a call now um, on a meeting that was called by the UN Women with Faith Leaders in South Africa, mm. targeting just a few thought leaders in this respect. And one of the important things that people raised in that is you know, for those who are believers there's the the, the the expectation that we need to be our sister and our brother's keeper. In other words we, we are responsible for each other. Um, as Nomad Tamsunga was saying we, we get shocked when it's Uine uh, the man in which she's killed, she's pe- killed in a place that's supposed to be a safe space, a post office. You know, um, and then Tsehufato is not only Stepped brutally, but she's also hanged Mm. um, and she's heavily pregnant. Now, what is the psychosis that allows this kind of behavior? I I think part of the problem is us in society. We tolerate patriarchy, we simply look the other way when uh, uh, women are violated. Uh, When Tsehofato was hanged, I'm sure it's not the first time that. Uh, Whoever is responsible did what they did. They, mm-hmm. it, it starts somewhere.
7: Mm-hmm.
8: It starts with what Nomatan Sangha says, you know, how people speak to women, how people relate to women, how people body shame. Because then it inculcates this value that says you are nothing, you know, and, and it gravitates. I was talking to a colleague who, who just called me a few weeks ago. That her daughter is being assaulted by the partner, they are newlyweds, mm. and she has come home. They want to intervene, um, and they are now constrained because you know you live in a society where people say, "No, this is a private matter." Mm. He just pushed her. Let's talk about it as families. The the, the research that um, uh, 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 is within this space indicates very clearly. Where there is any form of aggression in a relationship, it does not stop. In fact, it escalates. Mm, mm. It starts with those harsh uh, words. It comes to a push, gravitates to a clap, Mm. and then it becomes physical violent. And when that happens, you can rest assured, it's likely to end up in death. Mm. Now, I'm saying in all these stages, there are people, you know, there are human beings. People say gender-based violence happens in homes. But the truth of the matter is that we hear the screams. The truth of the matter is that we see the evidence, the blue eyes, you know, even as people try to hide it with uh, makeup and what have you. What is it that you do when you see your sister appearing like that? What is it that I do when I see my brother, he's doing things to his wife, Mm. that I realize this is wrong? Why is it that we are tolerant as men to always excuse and justify when our fellow men have done things to women and we can always find excuses that no she must have done something you know and this is the kind of behavior that for me i think fuels gender-based violence because we find many excuses for perpetrators and in fact victimize survivors almost double or three times and this is where we need to start how do we begin to change the narrative of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman in a society like ours where we are saying we value the 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 the, the, the essence of human life and the dignity of all. Mm. I remind people that as African people we believe in the, phenom- the philosophy of Ubuntu. You know Ubuntu is a very important concept because it does not denote any gender. It says, umuntu umuntu gabantu. you are a human being first and you are important, mm-hmm. irrespective of your gender. And if we can get back to those basics and really mean them and not just say it as platitudes, but really mean it and exercise it in how we relate to each other. It will begin to change the mindset of what we see uh, happening our, our outside here.
1: And that's Bafana Kumalo, Director of Strate- uh, Strategic Partnerships and one of the co-founders of Songhe Gender Justice, on the line talking to Ayandam Kwanazi. Zambian youths are waking up and uh, beginning to call for transparency and accountability from office bearers over the management of the country's resources and governance. Youth activists, among them musicians, are also using platforms at their uh, at their disposal to express displeasure at the manner government officials have prioritized foreigners over locals. More from Hilda Akikelua.
2: Last week, musician Brian Wembia, known for his stage name as B-Flo, posted on his Facebook page that youths in Zambia should no longer sit back and watch their natural resources being looted at the expense of the majority suffering Zambians. He further called for what he termed as a revolutionary youth-driven movement across the country in order to hold government to account for all its actions. He also criticized the handling of the recent gold mining in the northwestern part of Zambia whose contract was issued to a Sudanese company. BFLO, however, received a backlash from Losaka minister Boman Losambo who accused him of insulting the Presidency and gave him 24 hours to apologize. He refused to apologize.
14: An attempt to silence Bflo is an attempt to silence all the Zambian youths and the suffering Zambians. I apologize for my inability to apologize because we do not apologize for telling the truth this is my opportunity to remind our leaders that you are not our bosses the bosses are those people that you follow in their constituencies during campaign time those are the bosses and that's why we always emphasize the word serve to serve you are serving the people The people that you serve are the masters. They are the bosses. They are your employers. They are the ones that have given you the employment. They are even the taxpayers that fundraise for you to have that wonderful salary, those allowances that you get in parliament. They are the ones that fundraise for you to have all those big cars that you are driving. So you cannot start to disrespect the people that have put you where you are.
2: Another activist, Donald Mwenda, accuses government of giving a deaf ear to the sufferings of many Zambians, especially the youth. He says when young people voice out their concerns, they are often labeled as anti-government who are supporting the opposition. He, however, appeals to fellow youths and other marginalized groups to begin to demand for accountability from their leaders
7: youths are the majority in Zambia And if we play deaf and blind to the current happenings, believe me, it gives uh, a chance or opportunity to the current regime to loot our resources. So my word to my fellow youths is let us rise in numbers, let us gang up and continue speaking out without any fear, without any favor. So it is us to rise in numbers so that these people are put to account. Because if only three or four people are doing it, believe you me, the uh, the regime will be given uh, the liberty to do whatever it feels like, because we're not speaking uh, as as a majority. Only a few of us have uh, would be deemed to be the people uh, speaking out on these issues. Some applies with uh, the most marginalized Zambians. A very example that I usually give when I'm uh, educating most people about uh, public resources is it's an arrangement whereby you employ a garden boy and you are paying him every month and that garden boy is doing things that he is not supposed to do according to your terms of contract.
2: The Human Rights Commission in Zambia has also condemned the government for not respecting the freedom of expression as a human right. Commission spokesperson Mwe says freedom of expression is a basic human right which every Zambian is entitled to. He adds that citizens should not be intimidated by the state for expressing themselves, especially
10: on governance matters which affect all Zambians. The Human Rights Commission took time to review the videos, the recorded videos, by Mr. Brian Wembia and Mr. King's Malembe Malembe, uh, as well as the press briefing, by the honorable minister commission found that the expressions contained in the videos were within the realm of the right to freedom of expression as contained under article 20 of the constitution of zambia and various other regional and international human rights instruments to which zambia is a party and we found that there was absolutely nothing injurious to the rights or reputation of the presidency Uh, Therefore, the issue of uh, defamation of the president did not arise, in our opinion, and also that uh, there was no threat to public order, public morality, or national security, which are the international prescribed standards for restricting human rights, including freedom of expression. The objectives, as we uh, sought to understand, were that the individuals were trying to render you know a legitimate advice uh, to the president and that they were concerned on certain issues of governance that they felt affected them and that is within their constitutional and democratic right. youth activists have vowed
2: to continue voicing out their concerns and are planning to protest outside parliament when sitting resumes tomorrow members of the ruling party youth wing have also issued a warning that they will be there to counter the protests organized by the activists. Reporting for Channel Africa from Livingstone in Zambia, I'm Hilda Akekewa.
1: The time is now 17.51 Central African time. Here's Nosele Zuma with your latest economics news.
16: Thank you, Samora. Good evening. The Automobile Association of South Africa predicts a substantial increase in the fuel price next month, including a petrol price jump of over one rand fifty. The AAA says this will exacerbate the woes of South Africans who are battling with the economic effects of the coronavirus lockdown and job uncertainty. Commenting on an ed Audited data from the Central Energy Fund, the AAA says that the oil price is slowly regaining its value after a massive dip early in 2020. Based on the current data, the price of both grades of petrol and diesel is set to increase by over one rand per litre. AAA spokesperson Leighton Beard.
15: Petrol at the moment is set to climb by one Rand fifty nine a litre, diesel by one Rand forty eight, and illuminating paraffin by a massive one Rand ninety four. The main driver behind these increases is the increasing international oil price. And this oil price is increasing because international demand for oil is increasing as world economies begin to activate again after the international lockdown as a result of COVID nineteen. It's a trend that we think is going to continue in June. And if the RAND weakens against the US dollar, unfortunately that could Add more misery to the increasing fuel price. It's something we'll keep an eye on towards the end of the month.
16: A number of the South African Airways staff members on Monday picketed at the airline's headquarters in Kempton Park over unpaid wages. The staff who are not being represented by unions say they have not been paid their May salaries and are desperate for answers from SAA business rescue practitioners. SAA employees say their benefits have also been tampered with and are going to stage a standstill demanding their funeral cover unemployment insurance fund and medical aids be paid. They further say that SAA has cancelled employee benefits without consulting them. SAA business rescue practitioners are expected to publish their long-awaited rescue plan for the airline which employs more than 4,700 people. These staff say they are left in the dark.
4: Now we are expecting around about uh, three to four hundred workers. at The company, it seems as if uh, things are happening without us, knowing what is happening. So it will be fair, much fair, if uh, the PRP can address us. The problem is that last month our salaries were not paid. Uh, medical aid, housing, funeral covers. We are very much concerned of what's happening within the company. But now for people who are at home, Anything can happen to you now. If you die tomorrow, you don't have a funeral
10: cover.
16: Petroleum company BP has forecast lower oil prices for decades to come as government speed up plans to cut carbon emissions in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic. It has cut price forecasts by 30% and expects brand crude to over. To average 55 US dollars a barrel from now until 2015. As a result, the oil giant says it will revise down the value of its assets by between 13 and 17.5 billion dollars. BP says it would have to become a leaner, faster-moving and lower-cost organization. Last week, the firm announced plans to cut 10,000 jobs following a global slump in demand for oil. Countries across the globe have ordered people to stay indoors and not travel as a result of the coronavirus pandemic, which has caused a slump in demand for oil. As a result, the cost of oil fell to less than $20 a barrel at the peak of the crisis, less than a third of the $66 it cost at the start of the year. Officials in Beijing say more coronavirus cases have been found in the market after people tested positive for COVID-19 at another major wholesale food market. New restrictions are being introduced in in neighborhoods in the Chinese capital to try to contain the outbreak. Reports say the virus was discovered on chopping boards used for imported salmon at the market, prompting major supermarkets in Beijing to pull the fish from their shelves. China, the origin of the global coronavirus, outbreak has recorded over 84,000 cases and 4,600 COVID-19 deaths. The BBC's Stephen MacDonald reports.
1: Tens of thousands of people have been tested for the virus in the neighbourhoods surrounding Beijing's Xinfadi Market, which supplies 80% of the city's meat and vegetables. This followed the testing of another 10,000 staff who work inside. In nearby districts, only local residents are allowed to enter or leave. Schools have been closed, as of some transport connections. Officials have also advised residents close to Shin Fadi not to go outside without a good reason.
16: Meanwhile, China's second biggest airline says it will launch a new carrier despite a severe global downturn in passengers caused by the coronavirus pandemic. China Eastern has joined forces with a range of partners, including the country's biggest online travel agency, Trip.com. The new airline will be focused on the island destination of Hainan, home to 8 million and a free trade hub. Some have questioned the timing of the launch, which comes as the airline industry struggles to survive. Not No, No time frame has been given for the launch of the new airline, which will need regulatory approval. For your financial indicators, the U.S. dollar is trading at three hundred and eighty-six ninety Nigerian Nara, 11.44 Buzonapula, 105.25 Kenyan Shilling and 18.31 Zambian Guacha. In BRICS currencies, one U.S. dollar is trading at 5.04 Brazilian Rule, 69.68 Russian Rubble, 75.56 Indian Rupee, 7.07 Chinese Yuan and at 17.02 South African Rents. The U.S. dollar is also trading at 79 pence to the British pound and 88 cents to the euro. Looking at commodities, gold is trading at $1,738 and platinum at $820 per ounce. The price of brown crude oil is at $38.83 a barrel. For Channel Africa News, I'm Noseika Zuma. This is Africa Digest.
1: And that wraps up Africa Digest for this hour. Be sure to join us again from 1900 hours Central African time for more news from an African perspective.